say the rebel reclamation with us. We have the right to fully embody life in connection with nature and her cycles. We empower ourselves and others without apology or harm, aware and in awe of our united potential. We welcome the light and the shadow, knowing that both are sourced from the same divine power. With the wisdom of our ancestors and the hope of all future descendants, we lean into the unknown with grace. We release that which no longer serves us and manifest that which does. We make our own rules and then maybe we break them. We are radical and wild. We are rebel women with teacups. What are we drinking today? Well, hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> hello, good. <laughs> good. We are drinking. There is in my um, my little pea brain memory, there's every possibility that we could have drink this one before I don't think so that, okay not I know that I have because my bag was open okay so we're drinking again from Thistle Bee Tea Company again her name is Stephanie Elaine she is located in the Dayton slash Yellow Springs slash Xenia Ohio area she does have her own Etsy page we are going to create a link in the show notes now there is a possibility that this one in particular is not available on the Etsy page but you might be able to reach out to her and see if that might be something she can get together for you. But I think it's the best one because it has elderberry in it. So we've got alfalfa, elderberry, nettle, elderflower, rosemary, cinnamon, rose hips, and sage. We try to find a description, but again, it's not on her page. But uh, we need that elderberry in our life right now. True. All, this happening. <laughs> All right, let me, I'm going to smell it. Oh, so you're smelling the dry herb? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. I just took the lid off my tea. My hot tea. It smells freaking amazing. Okay. Let me cover yeah, it back I've been up. letting mine brew for a little while now. I, I let it concentrate. You should see us right now with our nose inside these I little know. baggies. Okay. So I have <laughs> to tell you, so on um, this past weekend, we had our, our maker's market, our Yuletide um, mystical market vendor fair. So it's like craft show, but essentially like witchy pagan earth centered goods. And, um, Thistlebee had brought us a whole bunch of stuff and stocked our shop within our temple walls, uh, last market, which was last year. And so I had asked her about swapping everything out and she was like, yeah, I'll swap everything out. And I was like, what do you do with the old stuff? Cause she's going to, you know, take everything that's been sitting on the shelves off and, and do whatever with it. And she was like, oh, I usually just compost it. And I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, or you could take it if you want some. And I was like, no, no. Cause in my head, I'm like, don't take all of her shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then every single day since then, I'm like, why the fuck? <laughs> why? <laughs> one of everything that doesn't yes. make any sense <laughs> yeah because now well, that would have been like, good to also just have like have at the temple for yeah, our team even. you silly goose you I just didn't want to be too I didn't it's so funny the the ways I'm hesitant to receive you know what I mean I'm like yeah. that's too much it's too much why what story is that she literally offered it to me and then I mean even from a certain place it could be like well how rude she doesn't even want to drink this tea for free <laughs> I mean I did I bought I bought tea from her with money with real money but that day but anyways that's so funny so yeah so you can also get her tea if you come into our shop yeah <laughs> that's hilarious uh I love you and your brain I I can smell it it's like it's really subtle oh. everything's really subtle okay so I'm I'm moving on to the the liquid because it smells freaking beautiful and it looks yeah. beautiful it's just really dark purple mm -hmm. like a little bit brown almost yeah but there's definitely some red in it, the color of the liquid. Yeah. Yeah, for and sure. And it smells 
Oh, what is that? Okay, I can smell the rosemary. So I, yeah, I'm smelling rose hips. Like there's a fruitiness, obviously the elderberry and rose yeah. hips probably because it's like a, it's like a acidic um fruit, which is probably the rose hips, and then definitely rosemary and cinnamon, and also yeah. the sage. I feel like I can smell everything that's in here aside from the alfalfa that just smells like green yeah well to me it smells like like a rabbit cage (laughs) I had taken care of Mars's rabbit while she was gone years ago before she had her bus um Lady Mars she travels around in a pimped out bus now but she had a rabbit for a while and when she went on vacation one time me and Ayla took care of her rabbit oh that's so sweet and so the smell of like alfalfa and timothy hay is like that's all I can think about is rabbits when I smell it but I don't think about rabbits when I smell this smells freaking good though it really does it's this it's a really deep I mean I have been steeping it for quite some time but it's a really beautiful deep dark yeah. It's like a purple coffee. Yeah. That's what yeah, it looks yeah. like. It's that elderberry baby. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So taste, taste is different than it smells. Yeah. Taste is good. I immediately feel it coating my throat. I do have a sore throat. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give it a little bit. Cause it's like my Sam likes burn off the tongue hot. That is not, I'm not a fan of that. I'm like, just after that, like just after it will burn your tongue off is what I'm a fan of. Mine isn't, I have had mine brewing so long. It's not that hot. Um, but this, this weekend, our um, mutual friend, MJ, she was like, I, I don't like hot tea. She's like, but there's literally a three second window where it's the appropriate temperature because it's either burn your mouth off. And then there's like the three milliseconds and it's the right temperature. And then it's too cold. Exactly. Exactly. That's so funny. Um, so I'm going to ask you, Oh, 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 it's so cute. What mug are you drinking from today? Oh, okay. So this is another thrift store find. Okay. So let me show you. It's actually a four piece set. I only have three pieces here, but I have the saucer and then the cup that sits on it. It's white with these like beautiful blue paisleys and like, um, it's like Asian, like square borders, you know, that you find on like a a menu, like a, like a Chinese restaurant menu, but it's like blue and there's like butterflies. And then Mm. there's a lid because you need a (gasps) lid to steep tea correctly so that you don't lose all those volatile oils. And then there's a fourth piece. That's like the basket that sits inside, but it's like a porcelain basket. Oh my gosh. What a fine with, with big ass holes in it. So all the tea particles come out, out, but, um, yeah, I, and then I'll use this lid for all sorts of other, all, all sorts of other mugs because it, it has like a nice deep nook on it. So it fits on most of my mugs anyways, but that's nice. Yeah. If I don't, if I don't use this lid, I'll use a, um, just a different tea saucer, like tea cup mm-hmm. saucer and I'll put it oh. on on whatever my mug is because that makes sense I'm okay. too good to not cover my tea when I brew it now <laughs> okay so mine is also a thrift store find however it comes from okay we didn't have I didn't have a lot of new things growing up like purchasing something new in our house was I would say is a big deal but I remember and I think it came from finger hut if if memory serves me correct do you remember finger hut no I do oh <gasps> Okay. So finger hut was a, it was a virtual, it was like virtual before virtual was a thing. So finger hut was a magazine that you would get that you would order from the magazine and you could make payments on it, I believe. So it was like a way to purchase something brand new and make payments on it, but it wasn't really a credit card. 
and you could only use it at finger height, if memory serves me correct. But I remember, but it could have not come from that at all. And I could be completely wrong, but I remember when my mom got this brand new set of um, dishes and they were white and they had a black rim and they had these beautiful flowers on it. And, you know, as life happens, eventually she didn't have any, like eventually she had some and then none because they would break or whatever, got something new, what have you. But I found one in the store one day and I was like, mom, isn't this what we used to have? And so I got it because it reminded me of my mommy. It's really small, but it just, yeah. Like I was going to say, it looks like, cause it's not shaped like a normal teacup. It's shaped like a straight cylinder. So it looks almost like a mug. Yeah, so it, I would call it a coffee mug. Bigger. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would call it a coffee mug, but like just to give you an example, this is my oh, actual I coffee. So I there see. is a little bit of a difference. Yeah. And I love, I know we've talked about it before, but for tea specifically, I love really big mugs. Mm-hmm. Coffee, I don't because my ratio, I know I know how much cream I want to have in my coffee, depending <laughs> on how it fills up the bottom. So I'm very particular. Like I literally have probably 12, 13, 14 mugs. Cause you know, you can't pass that mugs, <laughs> but I only use like four of them because of the shape is perfect. Right. Mm. <laughs> Anyways. So that's, that's what I'm okay. I'm going to try now. Okay. So when I taste it, I don't get, um, cause when you smell it there, there <sighs> is that acidic smell, um, from like probably the vitamin C and the rose hips and the elderberry. But when you taste it, there's no, there's no acidic no, note not at, at all. all. It's very, um, it's very subtle to me. Yeah. It, the, the fruit is a mellow fruit flavor. Yeah. I would there, say for me that that's like what pops out the most and it's towards the end. It's towards the back. Yeah. And there's, um, there's a, like a mouth coating, a mouth feel that is like a, not syrupy, but it, it does. Uh, do you feel thick. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With three C's baby. <laughs> <laughs> And I can taste the cinnamon and the sage and the rosemary as well. Mm, so good. It really is good. Mine, yeah. it, there's like a quarter of it left. I've already drank. I wish I would have brewed more hot water so I could have done a second and third cup while I have we're talking. This, um, metal oh, canister. You're That's so what smart. you should do. That's Get a big coffee do. cup with an insulated container and have yeah. it just next to you. <laughs> yeah, a big thermos. Okay, so today. What do you got? I've been thinking about it. A few weeks ago, I got the opportunity to go to a really quick down and dirty workshop with Danielle Dolsky. And she said something inside of it that was like, oh, so she said, let's say that there's something that you need to do, want to do, have been aching to do, like make a paint a portrait or write a book or um, whatever it could be, you're just, there's something that you're wanting to do, but you're not doing it. And instead you find yourself binge watching things. Mm. And she's like, what's underneath that? Think about mm. what you're watching, what you're taking in and what's behind that. And I came to the realization that I have been hard, hard binge watching things about dr- true crime, both in visual and podcast. And a lot of the times with the podcast, it's more like the spooky side, like the um, ghosts and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Or like weird happenings. But 
on TV. It's like true crime and right, but it's more about the mystery. It's more about, can I figure out who done it? Right. And I was standing in line because that hit a lot of people there. And so we were talking about it while we were in line to get an autograph in our books from Danielle. And I came to the realization that maybe the reason why I am attracted to that is because with TV shows, there's always an answer. Like, it doesn't matter if it's a two-part episode, the answer is always there, Mm -hmm. right? There's never a not answered question inside of TV shows because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying, they want to offer you the answer so that you can feel complete as a human, as a person. So I got to thinking about that and I got to thinking about why is it that I'm attracted to like I have very specifically chosen to avoid the news. Hmm. I've very specifically have chosen to avoid most social medias because it's just, they say this is the most peaceful time in the world, the like world history that we've ever seen, because most of the time it's like conquering villages and stuff. And I'm like, um, I feel like we're no longer there. No. There's no, there's no way that we're we fucked. Can, we are absolutely fucked and it's just <laughs> wild whatever's happening. And I think it's the like final vestiges of the patriarchy holding on and they're trying to grip so tight that shit's going crazy, right? Yeah. We're destroying ourselves from the inside is what's happening instead exactly. of us destroying each other. Exactly. So it got me thinking about uh, death and dying and it got me thinking about how we're entering into the crone phase and excuse me and then it got me thinking about how our ancestors viewed the cycle of life right Hmm. okay and so I'm reading this book and I don't know if I'm reading this book because it is uh I I within this past year I've come to the realization that I could live for another 50 years right or the majority of my days could be behind me and that's wild to think about because there's so many unanswered we just don't know Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a client last week and I said, um, because she's working through past life things and that she's always died an early death. And so mm-hmm. according to the deaths that she's experienced within the next 10 years, her past lives had passed away, like within the age she's at right now. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I thought to myself and I said out loud to her, what if you only have 10 more summers? What if you only have 10 more falls? Then what are we doing Like, Mm -hmm. what are we doing? You could be blessed to have 50 more, but what if you only had 10, Mm -hmm. 10 more holidays with your family, 10 Mm -hmm. more new years to celebrate. And so that really got me thinking. And so I'm reading this book and it's from Starhawk. It's actually from Starhawk and a collection of other people, um, Maka Nightmare. I believe that's how you say her name. If not, it's Macha, but I think it's Maka as in the goddess and the Reclaiming Collective. And so it's called The Pagan Book of Living and Dying. It was previously called uh, Crossing Over, and then they did a revamped version. But let me find my passage that I wanted to read from and share. So give me just a second. Also, can I just say, I wish I had honey to put in this tea. Do you not have honey? (laughs) I mean, I have some in my cabinet, but it's like, you know, two rooms away. But I'm just saying this tea would be big pimping if there was honey in it. (laughs) Do you want to go get honey? No, no, no. Okay. You just sure? For anyone listening. Okay. That's, that's, it would be better. I love it. Okay. So this comes from early in the book. 
Now, this is based off of pagan traditions. Most pagan traditions are earth-based traditions. And pagan is somewhat of a generalized term. It is meant to describe anything that is pre-Christian. So like Buddhism is considered pagan because it's pre-Christian. I thought pagan meant earth earth-based period well well pagan when a general association of pagan is associated with earth-based anything but it can also be used to describe anything that was considered a religion that was pre-christian oh one of um the okay wait side note can i yes please absolutely okay so on one of the um oh crap i forget what he's what they're called there's a sanskrit scholar and um and his i'm i'm drawing a blank on his name but he was talking about the origin of the word pagan from from whatever he has studied which i don't i can't i can't name it right now but he said it was a bastardization of the word bhagavan because bhagavan means like beloved or like god and so people would be worshiping as as everyone was moving around and people didn't understand other people's languages and and we were trying to say other languages words instead of saying bagan or bhagavan bagan sounds a lot like pagan and so there was like moving from worshiping bagan to to then being a pagan because it was like you were worshiping the divine so just throwing that out there as a possibility it's so funny you say that because I'm trying to find it now. And of course, I'm not going to find it. But in these beginning chapters, Starhawk or whoever wrote the, the, that particular passage talks about the where the root of pagan comes from. It wasn't associated with that, at least in this. Uh, oh, here we go. Oh, I found it. Okay, so it says, I'll just read this beginning part because I don't know where it begins or in. The cycle of birth, growth, death, decay, and regeneration is the core of pagan theology from Thea, goddess, rather than Theo, God. Pagan, a word that comes from the Latin root paganus, meaning uh, country dweller. Pagans who lived close to the land held on to their ancient understandings of life and death long after Christianity had seemingly converted all of Europe. Pagan has been used as a pejorative term for centuries but today throughout the americas and europe many people are proudly reclaiming the term as we both reclaim the insights and understandings of our ancestors and adapt them to a new time so it doesn't really actually talk about other than the latin root paganus means country dweller so so there's latin but then prior to the indo-european invasion and like the proto-indo-european languages there was Mm, other things okay just throwing that out there Okay. Because to Tamil, Tamal is the oldest written language. Okay. Which is is an Indian um, language, and then and then Sanskrit comes later. But Sanskrit specifically means not written. So it was a it was a language that was used prior to Tamil, but Tamil was written down because Sanskrit was passed on orally. Orally, okay. Because it was it was intended to be remembered and heard and not actually read. So. Mm. But I, I'm different teachers, you know what I mean? They're going to have different sources saying right. different things. But that does that does stand a reason, though, to see where the, like, because it keeps going down. Like, we think the Latin root is, like, the epitome of every word, right. and it's right. not. No. <laughs> Interesting. But that's just as far back as we can track with written word, because prior to written records, you know what I mean? Everything is basically a free-for-all. 
yeah. aside from what we can dig up archaeologists, but even then it's based upon the perspective of the archaeologists that are, even though they are like quote scientists, <laughs> which I'm sure they are, they still have a, a personal belief system and understanding that they're seeing things through. Anyways. Okay. Read to me your passage. That you okay. Well, it's going to be longer than what you offered That's fine. to me last time. Okay. So here we go. So this is from the pagan book on living and dying by Starhawk and others. This is the sacred cycle. Go into a forest, a meadow, or a garden, anywhere plants grow and die and insects, birds, and animals forage. In any natural environment, death is constantly occurring, leaves drop to the ground, plants end their lifespan, a butterfly ceases its fluttering and falls, a rabbit lies dead behind a bush. Instantly, the process of decay begins. Subtle cues of scent or some unknown sixth sense alerts all the families of creatures that feed on death, from the tiny one-celled bacteria and fungi to the beetles and termites and on up to the vultures and coyotes. The earth takes in the dead through a thousand mouths and that reduce each body to its most basic element. And those elements in turn feed the living, nourishing the roots of the great trees and send the vulture winging aloft. As any good gardener knows, it is the process of decay that sustain the fertility of the soil. All growth arises from death. This cycle of birth, growth, death, decay, and regeneration is the basic life-sustaining process on this planet. From the time of the emergence of human beings as a thinking, conscious species, people who have lived embedded in nature have observed these processes in action and have acknowledged our dependence upon them by naming them sacred. They have understood death as a natural part of the cycle of life and have known, not through faith, but through direct observation that death is the matrix in which new life is born. For human beings, the death of a leaf at the end of summer the culling of seedlings, or the salmon's end after spawning is easy to accept as part of the natural cycle. But our own death, or the death of those we love, is not. We feel fear, pain, and grief at the thought of our own consciousness coming to an end. Religions, theologies, and mystical traditions worldwide have attempted to reconcile us to death. Perhaps the major impulse towards a religion for most people comes from the recognition of our own mortality, from the deep desire to believe in an afterlife and the wish for comfort for our losses. Our disconnection from the cycles of birth, death, decay, and regeneration runs through every aspect of our society. We have forgotten the connection between decay and fertility. Our agriculture substitutes quick-fix fertilizers for compost, mulch, and manure, thereby impoverishing the soil and polluting our waters. Our technology creates products with no thought on how they will end their useful life and be returned to the cycle of the elements. We make plastic bags of nearly eternal substance in order to carry a lettuce on a 20-minute trip from the grocery store mm -hmm. to home. We create a whole nuclear industry before we have solved the problem of what to do with its wastes. Our landfills are overflowing and toxic waste sites dot the land because we behave as if death and decay were anomalies instead of integral parts of every activity. Mm. Yeah, it's a lot to take in. And yeah. I thank you for allowing me to take us on this journey. Thank you. Because I have been thinking about it. And within, I would say within 2018, 2019, maybe, I was introduced to the idea of death doulas. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard that term 
at least not knowingly, I had never heard that term. I've clearly birth doulas. I mean, that is a thing that is, that is an industry, but I had never heard of death doulas. And then I was talking with a woman who considers herself a death doula and she realized from the folk traditions of what her family, like deep in the Appalachian mountains, what they would do is still very much tied to how our ancestors do it. So when you think about the way that our ancestors, I don't want to necessarily say celebrated death. I would I want to say our recent ancestors, not our ancient ancestors, but they would have the wake in their home. The body would be in their home. They would do days of mourning. They would, um, they would tend to their dead. They would bathe their dead. They would dress their dead. And in our modern culture, the idea of touching your beloved after they have passed is so foreign Mm -hmm. because it's not something that we celebrate. So there's going to be many nuances to this conversation, but it just, we have a hard time moving through and moving with death because we don't talk about it. Right. Well, and And, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please, 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 please. I was going to say in terms of like touching our dead and, and like serving our dead, I mean, it's a huge part of the grief process and, and acknowledging and serving the body that held the consciousness of our loved one. But imagine now, if you were to say to, to most humans on the street, I would like to bathe this dead person in my life, there would be like shame. And there would be a whole onslaught of like icky feelings that society would put on you for desiring to do that. And I remember like my, I don't know. must've been, well, it was before I had my child. So must've been 15 years ago. Now my dog had died and I went with my partner and my mom to this, to the vet because he, um, he had lymphoma, he had throat cancer. My dog didn't, he wasn't able to eat and he wasn't able to drink water anymore. And it was just like getting progressively worse and he was having trouble breathing. So it was like the day they came that we were like, okay, we're going to put him down. And they gave him the injection, which I found out later was just like a lethal dose of anesthesia. And I could not stop petting his face. Like, I don't know the exact moment that his consciousness was gone and his light was gone, but I could not stop petting him. And, and I just pet him for, uh, I don't know, five, 10, however long it was, it was longer than, than it was that he was alive. And, and I was just crying with him and I watched his gums turn from pink to like a weird sort of like white bluish color. Cause I had been petting him for so long and his tongue had changed color and um, his body was still warm though. And then you know, he, the, the vet had taken his body away and, and then we had went back in the car and then we ended up going to see a movie to just like wash it all away to like get out of our brains for a second. And then Mm -hmm. that night in bed with my partner, he was like, it was kind of weird how you wouldn't stop petting him. And I was like, in my head, I didn't even recognize that that's what I was doing, but then I had felt weird. And I felt shameful about, you know what I mean? This, this person that I'm in love with then had this, had this, like this judgment that I should have had, like, I should have known it was weird to, and that I should have stopped petting my dog's face after, you know what I mean? The whole thing is like crazy, but there's nothing there. There was nothing wrong with it. I was just following my heart and my intuition, but then I had held onto it for a really long time of like, I'm a fucking weirdo that I want to keep petting my dead dog. But like, no, that was like so cathartic. Like I needed to pet him for as long as I needed to pet him for. Yeah. 
regardless yeah. of whether or not he was inside of that body. Yeah. And can I just, I want to offer my opinion, like, even if he felt that way, like, let's not talk about it on the day. Yeah. On the but day. We were also probably like, I don't know, 20, 21 at that. I mean, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing with our lives, yeah. but I mean, nobody really does, but right. But I thank you for sharing that story. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I, and there is a tradition, one of the many traditions actually that the Jewish faith faith has, and I just read it briefly in this book because that was Starhawk's family's tradition was um, Jewish, Mm -hmm. is that the body, or at least this, I think there might be different versions of it because I have heard some days where they sit with the body for seven days Mm -hmm. and some of them, this might've been more of an Orthodox. And if I'm incorrect, please forgive me, sweet listeners, uh, that for some though, they, the body has to be washed and buried within 24 hours, unless it falls on the Sabbath and then it gets buried the following day or they get buried the following day. But that is part of the tradition that there are people that come in and bathe your beloved dead. Like they are volunteers. Like this is what they do. Mm-hmm. And because I've never been in a position to have to make these types of decisions. I don't know how it would feel as my beloved being like, if I would be the one to come in and and wash my beloved, or if I would have people that this is their like sacred duty in life is to Mm -hmm. help with the passing over. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the thought of one final tending to one final uh, surrender to love, Mm -hmm. like it seems just so beautiful. Yeah so sacred and in my mind how could that ever be considered vile or revolting or like to me not to pass judgment on anybody but the idea of not doing that for me in this point in my life seems more dishonor dishonoring I guess you could say and it's because we don't talk about it because we don't like none of us are getting out of here alive. <laughs> there is one thing certain in life and that is death. Right. And when, so talking about the die, the uh, life, death, rebirth, regeneration type of um, way of seeing life. And Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes likes to call it life, death, life. Some people call it life, death, rebirth. But if you look at nature, Nature does it all the time. Now, if you mm-hmm. live in a climate where there's not seasons, the those people that might have in civil, been in civilization there might see it a little bit differently. But if you look somewhere where there is clear winter, spring, summer, and fall, there is death every year. There is mm-hmm. rebirth every year. And so for a lot of ancient civilizations, the idea of death, as much as it hurts, because of course we're going to grieve our loved ones or the people that were in our lives but they, in their minds, they were just going to be reborn into mm-hmm. the next life. Mm-hmm. And then, and then fear, fear came when there was an introduction of a wrathful God mm-hmm. and that the only way that you could experience a second life or the next life is if you were a good boy or a good girl and not just something that we inherently get to do simply because we exist. Right. Right. 
Well, and also if there's only essentially two lives in, in that scenario, so you're living this one human life and then you have the potential for the second one where you're either included in heaven or hell or, mm -hmm. you know, risen up in the rapture is a lot different than an endless cycle of reincarnation where there's, you know, thousands or millions of births to get it right, to have yeah. a, to have another chance to, to assimilate wisdom and and, and make a mark, make a ripple, you know, create a difference. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot harder to swallow when you think about it that way, but it also is like, it doesn't make any sense the way that we do funerals and, and process our dead now, because it is almost exclusively centered on mourning and grief. And you cannot, I mean, grief is, grief is just like love without some place to go. And you can't have the darkness and shadow without also experiencing the joy and celebration of what was. So I yeah. feel like in, in pagan or earth-based spiritual systems, there's, there's inherently both even, you know, cause like the life and death is essentially like the, the light and the dark. Right. So then even in celebrating death, celebrating the darkness, you, you then celebrate the light along with it. It's like the, the non-duality of it all, yeah. you know, because if you're just celebrating the darkness within the darkness, you're mourning death. It's like so imbalanced and no wonder a whole bunch of people are walking around traumatized by their beloved dead. You know what I mean? That they haven't made peace with. Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. A side note, backtracking yeah, um, to uh, to Jewish tradition. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think it's Orthodox, or maybe it is included in Orthodox. But I've been to a Jewish service, and they don't embalm the bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure the spiritual significance of that, but they also bury them in wooden boxes. So there's no metal. Yes. And yeah. even the nails are wooden nails mm -hmm. so that everything can decompose. Cause it, again, like our resistance to death is like, we're not even letting how beautiful that book was like the, what was it? The thousand mouths of the earth, right? Mm. We're not even letting the thousand mouths of the earth consume our dead when we're putting it in a goddamn metal box. Yeah. embalmed with poison yeah. like that is insane we are refusing to accept that process and then okay so so totally jumping not even lateral here I had heard <laughs> this week um or maybe it was last week but I keep playing it back in my head the sign of a successful capitalist society is the amount of waste we produce. We think oh about, my gosh. we think about the, uh, the sign of success of capitalism is like high numbers of things, right? We've like produced X amount or we've made X amount, or, you know, this is the USA as a country, right? We're no longer in debt. We've made this amount of money or whatever, but essentially what that equates to the flip side of that is how much waste are we producing, but in earth centered spiritual systems and earth-centered cultures, there is no waste because waste is looked at. How can I use this again? How can I give yes. it new life? And yes. that is the only type of culture that doesn't have its demise automatically built in because capitalism is in, in its, in its structure promising that we will kill ourselves Yeah, because we refuse to acknowledge the rebirth and the potential that exists after the death, not only the death of people, not only the death of, of the earth, but like things, right? So if we make a plastic bag that is basically eternal, 
Like if you don't Mm. use that bag again, the next time you go to the grocery store, you know what I mean? You're just collecting, you're creating more waste than the, the thousand mouths of the earth could, could begin to manage. Yeah. Nuts. It is. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. So, so then I I work in my retail job and I'm unbagging, you know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, I think about that all the time. (laughs) I think about it all the time. This is so fucking wrong. This is so, so wrong. And then also how like these, these garments are taking up space in your closet, but like what existed in that space before it, was it other items that you then are releasing to the thrift stores so that they can have a second life or going to friends or are they going in a landfill where that is the end of the line, the waste in the landfill has no secondary life to live other than creating noxious gas. That's yeah. <laughs> that's contributing to the greenhouse effect. Like that's not the life that we want our waste to be living after. Yeah. Uh, this really has nothing to do with the main topic, but I, but that makes me think of whenever there's a natural disaster and people with their big hearts really do want to donate, they gather their clothes and they go and they donate it to whatever organization is accepting clothes. But a lot of the time, especially if it's going from like America to a, a foreign country where the disaster has happened, there's no proper system set into place to, delegate like to to allow all of these physical donations so there are beaches that have piles Mm -hmm. on top of piles on top of piles of clothes that are going nowhere but existing on these beaches or on these pieces of land because there's no way for them to and, and I don't I only remember seeing like a segment on it because they're like for the most part, just donate money. Mm-hmm. And I find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I feel like there could be some back end number switch ins. Right. Uh, but, but like people, like I want to say it had something to do with Hurricane Katrina, not Katrina, not Hurricane Katrina. It was the tsunami mm. that a whole bunch of people donated. I mean, ton, literal tons of clothes, but they had no way to organize or get it out to the people so they just Mm. dumped it onto a piece of land Mm. it's just I don't know and then and then I think about as and I love tattoos don't get I don't I have many and I want many more but I think about that if my tattoo artist has to make sure everything is sanitary and has to follow these very specific guidelines so every time they take Mm. their gloves off they have to put clean gloves on Uh so if in one session my tattoo artist gets rid of 10 gloves. Imagine if 10,000 tattoo artists that day did the same thing. Right. How many gloves? Like I, I think about that, the medical waste. Just yeah. Oh my God. Sanitary. I just, well, I just think about and, those things. Okay. Another tangent about freaking medical waste. So we <laughs> have a, um, a shared friend who has several medical conditions and they were telling us about like what, sh- what they have to buy for their specific medical needs. It comes in kits. You can't just buy some of the things you can, but you can't just buy like the one giant gauze pad and like 
uh, like sandy strip that you need with these specific swabs. No, you have to buy the whole kit, which has like 17 pieces and you're not using half of the pieces, but yeah. that's all that insurance will pay for. So then every kit that you get that you need two things out of, you know what I mean? You're wasting all of the rest yeah. and you can't even donate them because it's considered medical waste, even if it's still wrapped up and sterilized, which is again, an indicator of our fucked up capitalist society. Because as soon as money comes into the picture, healthcare is no longer about keeping people healthy. And it is instead becomes a for-profit business, which then mm-hmm. automatically we're like, totally fucked, totally screwed. The earth <laughs> yes. is totally screwed. Yes. Yeah. The trajectory we are on and that we have yes, been so. for, for the past 200 years, because really it's, it's, really the the damage i think for the most part has come after the industrial revolution right because that's when all of the toxic things started mm-hmm. that's when plastics and stuff yeah mm-hmm. there was uh i visited i want to call it the penny rose museum but it could be incorrect but it's a museum in is it pennsylvania no colorado it was colorado and it was the evolution of cars mm. And I remember this, this car was $10,000 back in like 19, 20, 30, something like that. Mm. So, you know, this is like a luxury car, right? Yes, Do you remember yes. me telling you the story? Yes. Yes. It's a good one. It, yeah. And it was honestly, it was a beautiful car. And the man who was taking us on the tour, he goes, what do you think is the most expensive thing in this car? And like, we're looking at it and he's opening the door and showing it, like letting us see on the inside. And he points to a knob on the win- the window knob. You remember when we had rolled down windows before they were all electric and he pointed to the knob and he said, these two knobs on either side of the door are the most expensive things because plastic was so rare mm. and they were plastic knobs. And I think that's wild that it was so rare that it was insanely expensive to have something like that yeah and then now it's like we I I have read many articles of the author trying to live a plastic free society and in doing so they realized or trying to live plastic free for a year is what they were trying to do wait and who was it was just some some random person yeah some random person but they were trying to live plastic free and they're like plastic is a literally everywhere even their credit card is plastic Mm -hmm. so it's like it's literal plastic in everything that they do and we actually really beautifully have a local business called reduce reuse refillery and you bring in your containers i don't know how the 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 whole situation the whole thing works but you bring in your containers they weigh the container and then you go fill it up with whatever you need it to be and you only pay for the weight that you get Mm -hmm. so it can help reduce the use Mm -hmm. of plastic Mm -hmm. now that's not to say in my humble opinion, <laughs> it's not us. It's corporations that are producing the most waste. But yeah. any any anything is is helpful. But people would be surprised. And this is completely like veering. But people would be surprised the amount of things that we put on our recycling bin that are not recyclable mm. because of the residue that's on them right. and the cleaning process. Like the type a, of plastic. Exactly. There are a lot of things that we think that we can recycle that we cannot. It's it's, just wild. It's different county to county too, I think. It is, yeah. And probably state to state too. Yeah. 
Well, and what sucks is like all of it started with the best of intentions. Like yeah. plastic started, you know what I mean? As a way to make things easier, like glass bottles, they break and they're heavy. You know what I mean? So let's put it in a plastic bottle. But I feel like everything, everything always starts with the best of intentions. And then it screws us later. Like, um, you know, if you, if you have a farm and you have an ox or a cow, you know what I mean? That is tilling the land and fertilizing the land as it moves. And then someone's like, you know, you could, you could do a lot more with a tractor. You could do a lot more land. You could make a lot more crops. Yeah. You could feed a lot more people. Great. Okay. So now you have a tractor, but now you have to pay for the petroleum for the gas in the tractor. And then you know how also expensive tractors are, I know. And then you're compacting the earth as you move that tractor. So then you have to do even more tilling. And then mm -hmm. also it's not naturally getting fertilized as mm -hmm. the cow or oxen like takes a dump. So then what do you do? You have to get uh, like chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides when like cow urine is automatically like a natural pesticide. Right. So then it's like, we, at every time we upscale, but see that this is, this is the crux of the matter. Every time we try to create more than what we actually need, mm. there's that margin of waste that will continue to grow. And then we have to like exponentially meet that, N not meet the, meet the margin of waste, but as we grow larger than our own needs desire, we, it creates a cascade of problems Yeah, because we don't need a tractor. We don't need, we don't need to have that much. Oh, and where was I? Um, oh, oh, Julian. So we just had this we just had this um, workshop this weekend about manifesting through sufficiency mm -hmm. and Julian Crossan Hill led it. And he had said the everything changed when they locked up our food, like we became changed animals of capitalism society when they locked up our food. And like, like we could go to, to the grocery store and buy food. It's not locked up, but like it is, it's locked up behind this barrier of money. And if you don't have the key, yeah. which is financial means to, to purchase this food, then you're screwed because no one is growing their own food anymore. Yeah. Because there's such an abundance of food at the grocery store. We think that we don't need our own, but then this abundance of food at the grocery store is creating an abundance of waste because it's feeding way more people than we needed to. Meanwhile, there's, you know, other corners of the earth where people are starving Yeah, and we are drowning in landfill waste. The whole thing. We're just, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe we should bring it up. Maybe we should do that. The, the cycle of, um, uh, what is it? The great, the great turning. And now we need to pull in some gratitude. So we don't, <laughs> so we don't stay too low too yeah. long. Um, what is it? Jo Joanna Mercy. Is that her name that wrote, um, active hope? Oh, 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 that sounds right. Joanna Mercy. So, so there's this process of acknowledging the great unraveling, i.e. Yeah. the great turning where everything is going to shit. And so you start with gratitude and then you slowly work into all the things that are wrong that you need to express, which I feel like is what we just did. Yeah. And then, so you don't stay low, then you bring it back to gratitude. So then you lift yeah. back up so you can still acknowledge, but so I'm grateful for resources. I'm also, I hate to say I'm grateful for privilege, but I'm grateful that we live in a country that I can shop for what I need. I'm grateful that I have a sore throat and I can go get juice two blocks away. Yeah. A huge freaking half gallon of peach mango <laughs> pineapple juice with pineapples are not in season, but it tastes so good. Yeah. So there is there, but there, there's space to hold both. Right. Right. And it's just recognizing when it's not 
serving you just because it's what's the other term they use in the book that's really prevalent in my opinion um not not because it is what it is but because that's the status quo what is the term oh gosh it's just basically because that's the way it's always been right that's not just because it's always been that way or just because it's been that way during our lifetime doesn't mean that it can't be another way. Right. And there's always ickiness and stickiness when it comes to growth and or change, or, I mean, just think about how many times we as uh, humans have quote unquote, try to go on a diet. It's been hard. It's been icky and sticky. Right. Well, when you change it from looking at it as, uh, the punishment, there's something wrong that exactly. needs to be fixed. Exactly. And when you, when you go from the punishment or from the, I have to do this to, I get to do this, or instead of looking at moving your body as a punishment because of, let me count the 60 different reasons to, I get to move my body as a celebration of what it can do. Mm-hmm. Right. When you, when you can walk through the shit but still go, oh my gosh, look at that sunset. I'm standing in a pile of shit, but that sunset is captivating, right? Mm. It's when you can find the gratitude inside of everything that I truly believe that tides turn, that things change. Mm-hmm. Although oh. I do think that we need to do a collective like earth from one end to the other. We need to do an earth um, spell to change the shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to like do the final, like let's the final burn down and then let us go. Well, that's what part of me. I mean, I don't, the swifter it is, the messier it's going to be, but I say, just get it over with. Right. Just, like, let's rip the band aid. Just let it crumble. Yeah. I mean, I say that now, but it's, it's relatively tame where we're seated right now, but it could get a heck of a lot. Yeah. Heck of a lot worse, but it's, um, it was Joanna Macy, by the way, I said, mercy, mercy. Joanna okay. Macy and Chris Johnstone there who wrote active hope. Um, good read an incredible read. We, we did a book club with it. Um, uh, another incredible woman named Janae Christopher led us through the book and in it, they, they, they outline specific steps on it's like eight steps of like how to acknowledge and feel the pain of the mess that we're in without going crazy mm-hmm. and, and, and look to look to the possibility of our future with, with resilience and, and creativity and power and hope. It's a really good book. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Yes, there's a cat on my lap. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, well, first let me ask, is there anything remaining that you would like to talk about? Um, I wish we didn't, I wish we didn't remove all of the honor and sacredness from the crones Mm. in terms of, of death. Right. So we have maiden mother crone. Maidens are, are the beginning of the cycle full of possibility and enthusiasm and life and energy, um, pure potential. And then mother is that which births, that which nurtures and take cares and the great 
um, the great juggler, right? She's got 17 plates in the air and she's spinning all of them at once because that's what the mother does and takes care of everybody's needs. And then finally is the crone who it's, it's less active and it's more acceptance. It's um, more somber energy. It's darker. It at first glance, superficially looks a little bit uglier, right? Wrinkly and decrepit and sometimes grouchy, grumpity, but like they, <laughs> they just don't give a fuck. No, and they don't. It's just total acceptance. And, and that's if it, taking it back to like waste, right? Like the death of an item that we use from the crone perspective, it's like that there's more life to live and I'm not even, accept, I can accept this as waste, but I'm also accepting that there's something else in its future life that it has yet to, to be birthed into. So there's, there's no real sadness. And also from, from the crone perspective, they're like the, um, like the, the Hecate, the, the torch holders to show you the path through the underworld. They are guides to navigate the shadow, to navigate the hard times and the darkness and the grief. And, and I just hate that we have removed all of that from our elders and, and this status quo with our elders is to clump them all together in a nursing home and let them watch TV all day and maybe give them arts and crafts once a week. Like that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're it's not a burden on the society. They are, they are the heart of our future societies. Mm, I love it. So I'm going to go into that threefold. Okay. okay. So hopefully I'll remember all the folds. Okay. But the first one is it going into the idea that at first she looks a little, a little scary, a little crotchety. I can't remember exactly what you use, but I was like, haha, I love that. So the one thing that when you look at it through the patriarchal lens, the woman is good enough to a certain point, right? As long as she's serving the toxic masculine at least the way that they see it they see it as a divine but clearly it's not but as long as women are serving to bear children or tend to the husband um as they go to work um tend or to the house be eye cook, candy or oh my gosh or be the eye candy right but as soon as the woman is quote unquote past her prime she holds no use to society that's mm -hmm. what that's the lie we've been fed right but through the women's lens she has at this point, yes, she may, if she's blessed, she may be a grandmother. And so she might tend to the young, the, the young ones that way, but she is truly and fully and only living for herself in that moment mm -hmm. as a crone. And that's what is scary to the, the toxic masculine is because she is literally there for herself. She is the <laughs> first one to get the fucking party started. I'm not kidding you. Almost every time I have been at a ceremony where, you know, we're, we're, we're learning each other. We're trying to get to know each other, maybe around a fire. Maybe it's a dance circle. Maybe it's a drum circle. I have always witnessed a crone be the first one to get up and dance. And I'm like, leave it to a fucking crone. Like, yeah. And go the hardest, go, go the hardest because there's nothing but joy in life. Right. Like, they are blessed to see the physical age of the crone. I believe if that's the path that you choose, everybody embodies maiden mother crone and all the facets that that includes at all times. Now, whether or not you honor and recognize that is another thing, but to be the physical, like the visual age of the crone, which is the elder, which is the woman that is no longer bleeding, who is fully embodying her power. 
um, once like that moment, that part of life, even if she has a partner, even if she has grandchildren, children, any of those things, that moment of her life is literally for her because Mm -hmm. there's nothing at that point, you realize there's nothing but joy and ecstatic and uh, love and experience, right? We spend so much of our life like Sam was describing it earlier, like we've got 17 things juggling in the air. We're doing, 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 we're going, going, going. We have to prove ourselves. We have to get to this point. We have to buy the house. We have to get the car. We have to get these things. We have to be an upstanding member of society. And while those those things can be good um, with caveats, but we're not going to get into that. Uh, the, the crone is just, is that moment for herself and the crone, in my opinion, the crone and children slash the maiden are so closely aligned. It's crazy. It really is crazy. Like my crone is so much like my young maiden self Mm. and, and they both knew what they want. They both know what they want. Right. My maiden self had no question. Like, this is what I want to do. This is, this is how beautiful life can be. And then we get a little bit older and we get a little bit more jaded and we get a little bit bogged down with all the things. Okay. So being a crone, bitch, that moment is for you, right? Because, but we are, we are feared because we quote unquote, no longer have a purpose in society because we're not arm candy. We're not bearing children. We're not necessarily tending to partners, right? Mm -hmm. taking a a sidestep with one of those in arms. It breaks my heart that we are so fearful of the wrinkles and of the fading hair color Mm -hmm. and the way that our bodies look, like the physical shapes of our bodies. It breaks my heart because why does my cellulite and my wrinkles bear any thing on your life. Mm-hmm. My cellulite is not going to keep you from paying your bills or going to work or listening to the music that you love or watching the TV that you love. My cellulite holds, bears no purpose on your life. So why does it matter to you? Because we're programmed to feel uncomfortable exactly. in its presence. Exactly. exactly. And the crazy thing is, is that because we are so inundated in this digital world and our young ones are so impressionable because they grow up thinking that what they see is real, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a fantasy component to everything. And yes, children should, should live in fantasy as much as possible. I truly believe that. Be children as long as you possibly can. But they think that these celebrities look the way that they do with these filters and the perfect lighting and the opportunity to have a designer name on their body. Right. But they don't even look like that in real life, Mm -hmm. but we're not shown that. And so we're striving for this perfection that does not exist. And our definition of beauty changes literally like every five to 10 years. Yeah. Dude, you know what I cannot understand? (laughs) This is what I realized. The heroin like, chic is coming out back. of touch. Well, that that, and then also the the rounded cupid's bow, where it just looks like oh there's yeah, no, there's not two peaks at the top of the lip anymore, and it's just this weird oval that fills in the spot. I'm like, I just 
my, my daughter will put lipstick on like that. I just want to like swipe it off from in between. Like, why are you putting it on your skin up towards your nose? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. It looks like a child who got into their mother's lipstick. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't get I it. Mean, uh- unless that's the natural shape of your lips. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't, I don't know. And who, who am I to tell you what you shouldn't do? Literally do whatever the fuck you want to do. And also I don't get it, (laughs) it, but only if it sets your soul on fire, not, I have to, I have to do this to look this way. So you might hear every so often, cause I could hear it in Sam's. (laughs) If you hear this thunk, 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 it's because we're hitting her desk. Because we're so <laughs> passionate about what we're saying. So just so that you know that, that, that thunk, thunk, thunk is us hitting our desk. Cause we're like, fucking listen, man, it's all an illusion. Have fun while you're here. Absolutely. Please have so much fun. But if you were killing yourself, if you were killing yourself to look away that your body is not naturally take a step back from that. But I mean, truly you could take that sentence and scope it out. We, we are all likely killing ourselves for some sort. We're all, a good portion of us are probably working a job that doesn't fill our soul's light yeah. so we can have a house that's likely too large for us to manage independently. And like, we're never even home anyways, because we're working these jobs or because we're busy showing up in social settings to like be a certain way and yeah. engage in a certain way. Like for what, for literally what not, we can't take any of it with us. Right. Right. Okay. So let me ask you. So in, in what way, in a way, how are you embodying the crone right now in your life? A great question. And also just to offer, I did forget my other two folds. So I don't know if I'll ever remember them now. Was it for the the maiden and the mother or was it for the crone? It was for for the the crone. It was all three for the crone. But like now I should have written it down, but I did not. That's okay. Um, How am I? My fucks are kind of out the door. Right. But like, but I, but with like such love, right. Like I'm not saying it to be bitchiness. I'm not saying it to be like, uh, who the fuck are you? I'm just saying like, and this is a conversation I felt like we had some time within the past week. I'm just honest. Like crones are very honest and they can be very honest in a very toxic way, mm-hmm. but they can be very honest in a loving way. Like if what's happening between us is not serving us, I'm just going to say, Hey, this is not this isn't serving me or let's have a conversation or let's talk about this. Like being honest, it may sting, but it saves so much headache in the long run. Yeah. It's still a work. Like it's still a work in progress. Cause there's not everybody that I have been like, Hey, your, your, your energy is too much for me right now. Or I cannot hold space for you. Right. I don't always say that. And I will be honest about that, but I have been surrendering into it's my word I'm telling you 2023 word is already here I'm surrendering I'm surrendering into if it is not serving me then why am I holding on to it Mm. and in more than one aspect though like in mental physical emotional and like you don't have to be mean yeah but like if it's not serving you then why are we fighting this right Okay. So I have a story. It's kind of funny, but also kind of sad. So when my grandma, um, was going, she, she had dementia and then Alzheimer's and she had lived with my mom for a a chunk of that. 
And at that time I was um, nannying. And so I would bring my child and then the boy that I was nannying over to my mom's house in the middle of the day so that my grandma could like engage with like kids and me and whatever, have something in the middle of the day when my mom was gone. And, um, and and then we would also like sometimes go over, you know, have dinner with her, with my mom and stuff. And, and so it was me and my grandma and Ayla, my child. And then also um, my stepsister who was roughly, I don't know, maybe just a few years older than Ayla at the time. So two children at the table and then me and my, and my grandma. And at that time, Frozen was really big. And so Ayla would like go around the house knocking on the door to be like, do you want to build a snowman? And my, my grandma didn't get it. And she'd be like, quit that knocking all the time. But then we were at the table and then the two of them, um, my child and my sister started singing, do you want to build a snowman? And my grandma was like, quit singing at the table because she was just cranky all the time there's no singing at the table because <laughs> she was like I don't want this anymore this is I'm kiboshing all of this because it's too loud and obnoxious and I'm I'm not here to hold space for it <laughs> and <then> my mom <laughs> was like you can sing at the table anytime you want <laughs> oh, oh I, I love it I remember funny. that story. I know it's it funny, is it's and sad I love it. but it's yes it's like t- it's like crone like like no fucks I don't yeah. care you're stopping. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. <laughs> do you, um, do you feel like you're embodying the crone? Yeah. In some, I think, I think connection to my physical body. I am there. Mm. I am fully into comfort more than, than anything else. And I even, even in like specialty, like gatherings and celebrations where my mind and my heart desires to like level up my appearance, right? Like I want to put on makeup. I want to like wear something like tight, or maybe I want to feel sexy or even, you know, just like putting on eyeliner, but it is like damn near painful to do that, Mm. to have like my arms constricted in something tight. I'm like, Oh my God. Or to like put on a bra. I mean, I'm only, maybe I'll wear a bra like one day a month, you know what I mean? Depending on what's happening. I just am constantly aware of the sensation of the the flesh of my breasts resting on the flesh of my upper abdomen. (laughs) And like, if I walk up the stairs too quickly, you know, like the, the slapping that happens from the, from my boobs hitting my belly or not my belly belly, but you know what I mean? Like my rib cage. So, and I think like I I've been gray for a while, but I've had really, really short hair. So, but I, I like my gray. So I just feel like in general, I don't, my connection to my appearance, it is this, this weight that has been removed because I definitely was deep into some body dysmorphia and eating disorders. And, and it wasn't that long ago that I was wearing like crop tops and shorty, short shorts like that. It was probably two years ago. It wasn't even that long ago, but so, something flipped and, and now I'm just like sweatpants, sweatshirts, even mm. wearing leggings, like having something that tight around like my undercarriage or having like my <laughs> calves squeezed. Like, I just want to breathe. I just want everything to just hang loose and like everything to like flow and flop around. I don't, I can't, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I feel that that transition has happened for me, uh, especially within the last uh, within the last year, for sure, when I worked at my office job, every day I would be wearing 
body compression top and bottom like oh yeah oh. and right and, and thing. I know mainly because I have cheap bras and I have big boobs and mm. they were just uncomfortable all the time so the compression actually did help just like keep things from moving around mm-hmm. uh but when I was younger the idea of not wearing panties was like ew and then I know I only ever wear them when I'm on my cycle right. like no thank you at mm-hmm. all I usually wear dresses if I can get away with it because they're so freeing and I have an apron belly and for those that are not familiar with the term, it's a belly that kind of hangs over because I've had two C-sections. Mm-hmm. I've I've carried four children. I've had two C-sections and it has created what's called an apron belly. And of all the things that I could change about my body, that would be it. And even then it's like, well, I've been, <laughs> I've been living with it for seven years. Mm-hmm. So like, why even worry about it? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I, if I naturally, <clears throat> excuse me, if I lost weight fantastic but also like I'm not pressing myself mm-hmm. as long as I'm healthy and I'm healthy that's all that mm-hmm. matters okay so I'm gonna ask you a question okay I do remember this the question that I was going to ask you but I can't okay. remember the other two folds if you only had 10 more summers uh what would you do with them or any other season or any other thing or anything. Just if you only had to experience something 10 more times, when you think about the expanse of your 30 some years, if you only had 10 more of something left to experience it, how would you experience it? Or how would you like to receive them? I would find a farm as fast as possible and work, work with, work with somebody who has a farm so that I can tend to their animals and tend to their land. Cause my, my 10 year goal is to have a farm and to have a, not necessarily a working farm, but to have an animal sanctuary, not so much tending to the land speaks to me more. I just want to, I just want to sit beside animals like all day long. I just want to shovel their poop. I just want to feed them and like watch their big, beautiful eyelashes batting <laughs> at noon. <laughs> I think that would serve my soul. Um, and, and less peopling, um, uh, more, more creating at the temple, um, traveling countries with my child. I would like to take them to see other cultures. That is imperative. I'd probably be more diligent about the food I put in my body too. Cause some days, I eat food that nourishes my body and I feel really good about it. And then other days I just eat trash because it's easy. And I think maybe I would treat my body differently. But even then, 10 summers is like you said it. And initially I could feel my throat like choking up, like, oh my God, what would like that's not enough time. It's not, it's not nearly as much time as I'd like to have. But even then, 10 years is like kind of a lot of time. Mm. But that, that, that's what I would do. I would learn, um, I would commune with animals more, more than just my cats. What would you do? I only had 10 years left. What would I want to do? Oh, and I'd write a book. I'd, I'd write, I'd write my three books that I started writing. <laughs> I'd <finish> them. Mm, <laughs> that's good. I think the biggest thing that I would want to see with my eyes and feel with my heart is 
that my children are happy and healthy adults, which mm-hmm. I'm already partially seeing that, but to see the remainder happen, I think would be my filling my cup the biggest. Um, and I never want to put an, uh, truly and honestly, at least another 10 years before I become a grandmother, please. But I would love to meet them. Mm. Um, I would want to have land to learn on and teach on and play on, swim on. Be naked on. I was literally just about to say that. (laughs) Be naked on, make love on, um, tend to the bees, grow wildflowers travel I've only I've only been out of country one time and that was with the military and it was a it was a lovely it was a beautiful experience because it was a humbling experience um but I would love to see just like you said cultures outside of the one that I've only ever really known um I can't remember when it was. It could have been at time is liminal. Some things that I think happened a few weeks ago happened months and months ago or even a year ago. And I'm like, wait, what? How can that have happened? Yeah. Right. But I was listening to, I don't even think I listened to the full podcast, but I was listening to this clip and it was a very similar question. And this guy posed to the person who was interviewing him. He was like, do you know, do you live in the same city as your parents? And he said, no. And he was like, well, how often do you see your parents? And he said, uh, like the holidays and he said, okay, how old are your parents? And they were elderly. And he was like, okay, so let's imagine that they only live five more years and you only see them on Christmas. Mm-hmm. You're only going to see them five more times. And that really hit me. I'm mm-hmm. very um, lucky that I live locally to my family, but I don't see my family, my, my family outside of who I live with on sometimes not even on a weekly basis mm. like my mom lives 20 25 minutes away from me but I don't see her every week mm. and I would say that for me and my family unit I have I have forgiven my my mom and dad for many things I have worked deeply with healing my ancestral roots and I would say that com- compared to most that I do have a lovely relationship with my parents, they're not together anymore. They're separated. But um, even just realizing that how lucky I am to have both of my parents still still on this plane of existence and in a lovely relationship, how often I don't see them. Mm. And like my mom specifically both of my parents had a very, very rough life, but I don't know if my mom specifically has ever been like, (sighs) all kinds of words are coming up, like bring to tears, drop to the earth, like down to her tippy toes, ecstatically happy. Like Mm -hmm. there have been moments where she's been full of joy but I don't know if she's ever felt peaceful, like truly at peace and happy and not peaceful and um, 
dealing with the situation around her. And I would love to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. And I, not to say that it's my job to make that happen, but that is something that I would like to see in however many years I have left on earth and however many she has left on earth. Mm-hmm. It's going to go by so quickly. I know. Like you say, like when you said 10 years is a lot of time, it is, but it's not. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite sayings is this is specifically to raising children, but the days are long, but the years are short. Because mm-hmm. when you're in it, it's like, oh my gosh, can this day end? Mm-hmm. But then you look mm-hmm. back and you go, oh my gosh, that was five years ago. How did that even happen? Mm-hmm. Like I'll get, I'll get memories on, from, on my phone from five years ago. And I'm like, my teenager was a baby. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, not a literal baby, but she was like a baby. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how, how can she already be an adult? Mm-hmm. My sister. Okay. Quick, quick story. My sister yeah, um, is telling me, so she's got two young boys, um, one, my one nephew, I think he's six, maybe he's going to, he just turned seven. Um, and then the other one is, is young, young toddler. And so it's Christmas time and they do elf on the shelf. And so I guess every, every night, you know, she has to figure out a new situation for the elf on the shelf to be in the next mm-hmm. day. And he's at school and his friends are telling him about how their elves have outfits and his elf doesn't have an outfit. So he comes home and he asks his mom, my sister, if their elf is sick, that he doesn't have outfits. <laughs> and then she's, she's talking to me. She's messaging me and she's like, I don't even know what to do. I hate these freaking elves because it's like, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like, you're always, you always end up an asshole somehow or another. It doesn't yeah. matter how hard you work. And she's like, I just can't wait for these elves to be over. And she's like, I'm thinking about organizing a murder scene after this Christmas so that there doesn't have to be any more elves because you know, now now he's he my nephew is frantic about how these elves must be sick that they don't have these accessory kits and outfits with them and <laughs> and you know my, my advice to her was like surround yourself with like less less high achieving parents and then you the bar won't be so high but like also even like three years from now or however old he is when he finds out you know the truth about the elves in general like she's gonna miss it she's gonna yeah she's gonna be like that that heartache and strife of having to figure out whatever the scene and scenario is with the elves each night like she's gonna think back and she's gonna miss it and it's gonna there's gonna be grief when it's not there anymore yeah because the days are long but the years are short yeah hmm. so to offer some beautiful, well, hopefully beautiful. I don't know if what's going to come out of my mouth will be, but some parting words is to, if it's not within your regular practice to reconnect with nature, I encourage you to do so. Even, even if it's knowing what phase the moon is in or what station the sun is in the sky, because in the Northern hemisphere right now, we are experiencing, we're going into winter, even though at least in the Dayton, Ohio area, it doesn't really feel like it. it's been very mild so far. The Southern hemisphere is going through the uh, summertime. And so when that happens in the wintertime, our sun does not come up very far, which is why we don't get warm. 
And so for you to become aware of where the sun sits in the sky, it would be a beautiful, just like reconnection with nature to know what phase the moon is at and seeing her, seeing the sun, seeing the moon in whatever phase they're in is a beautiful reconnection. I will always and forever encourage bare feet on the ground. If that is something that you can do, please, please, please put some bare feet on the ground. But just take stock of your life. Take a step back and look at your world. And, and this is something I always post to myself. I've posed it for probably the last five years at the beginning of each season. What if this is my last winter? Hmm. What if this is my last spring, summer, and fall? And it makes you see things differently. It makes you want to experience things differently. We are always going to get bogged down in the have tos, the things that we have to do. But then we can start making changes or questioning, is this something that I want to do? And maybe baby step your way into doing the things that you want to do instead of the things, instead of always focusing on the things that you have to do. Hmm. And I would finally say, encourage conversations with your loved ones because there are a lot of people who pass away that do not have a plan put into place. Hmm. And knowing what your beloved would want in their passing as uncomfortable that conversation may be, but how much of a breath it could be should you ever experience that, that you, you know how to honor what they want. Well, and from experience, when I wrote my death plan years ago with, with a death doula, it was, it gave me like life. Like it was like something I never considered or worried about what would happen when I die. But then when I was like, I want this to be read and I want this song to be played and, and I want to make sure, you know, and I wrote down all the things that I want my child to know and to whatever mm-hmm. about, about the process and just about in general, how I felt about her. Once those things were like out of me and put down someplace, it was like this weight. I didn't even know I was carrying was lifted because it's like there. I, I know that there's a certain amount of like worry and things that she doesn't have to do because it's already been outlined. She's just following directives at that point, you know, yeah. instead of yeah. trying to create from scratch and and knowing that I can serve them in that way by having an itemized approach of how I would like my beloveds to, to move through my death. Yeah. Yeah. And then sink into the season for those that are experiencing winter, allow yourself this rest, this respite, this moment of quiet, This is something that our ancestors honored that this was the moment to be still and to go inward because we will spend the remainder of the year going, 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 doing, doing, doing the Mm -hmm. have tos, all the have tos. So as, as hectic as this particular season can be, the patriarchal culture makes us be because they convince us that we need to be buying more things, cooking more food, seeing more people traveling more. None of that is supposed to be happening. No, no, not at all. Celebrations happen because, and and we'll most likely talk about it within the next two weeks because Yule is coming up. Those that's a different, I mean, it's the same, but different at the same time, but we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. Make make choices 
to celebrate these next 10 years or more. Mm. Yes. Thank you more, please. Yeah. Yes. Thank you more, please. Do you feel good? Yeah. I feel complete. Good. You feel good. You feel feel complete. All right. Very complete. Good. (laughs) I was taking one last sip of my tea. See you next time. Bye. Bye.